You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Miguel Oliveira. He is founder at Scandalous Chocolates. We're going to find out what they're doing in cannabis. We're going to talk a little bit about the industry, where things are going. Obviously, lots of interesting kind of developments in the world of the cannabis markets and a bunch of new states coming online. Just fascinated by companies who are really focusing on developing new products, developing brands, kind of navigating this kind of state-by-state legal structure that we have and figuring out how they're going to grow and scale in this uh, exciting, exciting world of cannabis. So with all that, Miguel, welcome to the program. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. So before we dive into what you're doing today and kind of the interesting complexities of cannabis markets from a product point of view, let's hear a little bit of the backstory. Like, how did you get into, how did you get into chocolate? How did you get in cannabis? What was the, um, what was the path that uh, got you to, to doing this? Cool. Uh, it's, it's actually quite interesting. I'll try to make it as, as brief as possible for you. I, uh, I come from a family of, I guess, chefs. My mom was a chef. Uh, my grandmother was a, a, just a, a proper Portuguese uh, house mom who just, there was always food. So food for me was just always naturally, something I naturally gravitated towards. But uh, I cut my bones in the news business here in New York, working for ABC News and CNN as a producer and a reporter. As sort of, I think, you know, Blackberries came into play and the news started turning into a much more of a, you know, a sausage factory of information. I I shied away from that um, and turned to music, which was my, my, my second love. And so I started a small uh, record label called Panthervern Studios and started, you know, bringing up, you know, up and coming acts and talent, uh, just just bringing them to fruition, bringing them to some folks I knew out in the West Coast. And I started running out of money and I started realizing, wow, I, I need to I need to figure out a way to get more money to produce more music. And I was taking a plane ride back from France and they had offered me this beautiful little truffle. And I always have a hard time sleeping on planes. And I just thought, wow, wouldn't it be great if I had this beautiful little truffle and it was, there was some THC in it and I can be knocked <laughs> out, right? Exactly. And, and I was like, wow, this seems like such an easy, an easy concept. Now, I got back to the States immediately and you know, started researching you know, who's out there, who's doing cannabis and chocolate and what have you. And I was pretty surprised with the quality that was out in the marketplace. And I figured, wow, there's, there's a real opportunity here because you know, obviously there's a demand for this and it's surging. So it just was a natural sort of, you know, uh, in- inclination to kind of mix the cannabis uh, and, and the music world a little bit together. And I realized, you know, chocolate would kind of bind all two of them together. And so Scandalous was born. It was sort of this triangle between music, chocolate, and cannabis. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, how did you kind of transfer some of your experience on the producing side and the music business? Like, how, how much 
kind of set you up to be able to work in cannabis? What did you have to learn? What didn't transfer so well? I'm always curious when people get into cannabis, what they kind of guessed right and what they guessed wrong. <laughs> sure, sure. That's a great question. So just to, to practice this, I have a business partner, co-founder, Zach Bloomer, who works with me too. And so we basically, uh, he comes from the consumer packaged goods side. Got it. So, uh, you know, we, we kind of joined forces because he had the consumer packaged goods experience of bringing products to market. And what I brought in was this sort of producing, the, the visuals, the, the, the sort of the cultural impact that I wanted to kind of present and that we wanted to kind of present was made easier with my, my storytelling ability in the past, right? So it was just a really, it felt like a really natural inclination to join forces and take, you know, the music component and the storytelling component and just be able to create a more attractive brand, essentially, right? That people can connect to. That's just much more indicative of what's happening in our society, richer in, in its content. And so we kind of took that approach, you know, of, of coming into the marketplace. What we didn't know about was that, you know, this industry is still pretty young as, as long as it's in some areas it's been around for a while, but it's still developing. And I think breaking the chains of this clandestine roots, I think that a lot of, you know, these folks and players that are in the industry now have was sort of our, our biggest challenge. And, and it's very much a, a boys club or, or girls club, but hard to break in, especially trying to be an outside brand you know, entering a new marketplace. Uh, they're, they're real territorial. So, you know, we learned that, that, that traditional marketing and sales techniques don't work whatsoever. And, you know, it was, it was kind of hard trying to be this new, this new form of, 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 a, of a company in this industry that's, you know, much more about the bottom line that really has a business plan and isn't coming from this vibey sort of, again, uh, cult-like, you know, uh, subculture that, that, that I think a lot of cannabis grew from. Yeah. And how, I mean, I'm curious, actually, on the product side, like, I think it's one thing to have this idea of, yeah, if we could put THC into this truffle, like, that would be amazing to, to actually do that. Like, how did you kind of figure out the, I guess, the the process of actually creating a cannabis uh, THC infused product that, you know, was going to be of sort of the quality and the the product that you desired? Great. Another great question. So I think, you know, again, trying to dispel the myth of just like, just trying to get high, you know, or, or just trying to get the effects of the THC. The delivery system in the past was really, I guess, just it passed by. So, you know, we really wanted to get that just full experience of the best tasting chocolate, you know, the best processed cannabis oil or what have you, you know, mix them together for the best possible experience for the user. So it, it, was, it was sort of a bit of a labor of love trying, trying chocolates from all over the world for a couple of years. Um, mm -hmm. I worked with a chocolatier out of the West Coast. And, you know, we, he would just send me chocolate samples and I would literally, like brutal work. it was, it was awful. <laughs> it was awful. And he'd send me chocolate samples and I'd, you know, I'd share them with my friends and family and loved ones. And, you know, we all sat around and then finally came across, you know, the right one, but learning exactly how to then bring that into the cannabis space again, because yeah. it was so, so, so tightly wrapped, such a, 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 a tough circle to break into. Yeah. We had to learn on the fly. You know, we found a, a small company out of the West Coast uh, in Washington State that was like, you know, come on up and, we, you know, we'll let you try and fail and fail again until you, <laughs> until you get it right. So we kind of aimed small, missed small until we got the product to where we really wanted it to be. Yeah. And, and who is your audience? Like, uh, you know, who, who are you really targeting in terms of people you want to sell to? What kind of experience you want them to have? Give us a little insight there. Sure. So, you know, what's funny is, you know, we're, you know we, we've done a lot of handing out. <laughs> so not a lot of sales yet here, on the, especially yeah. on the East Coast, but we've handed out, you know, thousands and thousands of samples. We're finding that, you know, from literally 21 to 81, our, our, you know, everyone really likes the product. 
We're focused now on a more of an indigo blend. So it really helps people with sleep. So what we're realizing is that, you know, especially older folks who have a hard mm -hmm. time sleeping and have been dependent on, you know, other sources to help them actually get some rest are really, really are attracted to this because it's much easier on their system. So yeah. we, we, that was a surprise. But our, our target audience really is really your house mom, you know, who at the end of the day is exhausted or, or just wants to let loose a little bit, you know, and I think that that's really where we're seeing a lot of success after a tough day. But again, it's, it's, it's unisex. We have folks from you know, all ages enjoying it. The cool thing about Scanless is it's really convenient. It's a single pack. And I think we differ from other people in the industry as a result, right? So you can take it to the picnic or the park or the party, and it's just one, one dose for, for one time. Yeah. And I think you know, in other, other, other companies which are putting out you know, larger products, a full bar or you know, a full bag of candy or whatever it is, you know, we just find it a lot harder to know what to do with it. You know, if, if, you're, if you're traveling or, or, or if you're out for the day, it just seems like this is a much easier route for people to, to, to enjoy. Yeah, you, do you find or, or do you feel like this is kind of like a, a special occasion-y kind of thing? You know, given that it's, you know, that otherwise people are consuming cannabis in different forms on a regular basis. And this is their kind of special event, special evening, you know, treat myself kind of thing. You know, at first that's where we sort of wanted to go um, yeah. with it because, you know, scandalous. And we were, you know, trying to play on, on yeah. that because of as you can imagine, you know, that can go anywhere. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we thought we were going to be sexy or we were going to be more, you know, more like uh, just, you know, in your face, like wild and crazy. Um, but what we found is that it's scandalously good for the small price you have to pay um, is where we're finding our success. And that's really, I think, where, where we found our, our sort of comfort spot. And I think people can, can really relate to that more so. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. What are some of the other challenges you've had? I mean, you're, you're, I know you're still kind of getting to market on some of these areas and stuff, but what's the, like, what, what's the, I guess, what things have you learned that would be helpful for other folks that are either in the industry or thinking about getting in the industry and, and particularly around kind of the product and edible side of things? Sure. Uh, another great question, Bruce. Um, so I think, you know, the hardest thing for us really is because we're a non-plant touching business model. Let me explain that a little bit. Yeah. We basically team up with folks that already are in the marketplace, already producing, and have an established, you know, go-to-market sort of trajectory. What's what's that's what's sort of unique about us is we're you know we're kind of malleable and we can move from state to state as they open up. But I think the hardest thing for us is finding you know experienced enough players in the industry that can team oh, sure. up with us and then actually have a fair like track record. You know, it, it, it's still such a you know, an unstable business and, and you know, markets swing up and markets swing down. It's just finding like, you know, real, honest, dependable players in the marketplace has been by far our hardest uh, yeah. obstacle. To. And why do you think that is? Just just the nature of the industry right now? Yeah, like yeah I think so, too. And I think, you know, it, it's also in its phase where, you know, the regulatory sort of component, you know, in, imposes so much on, on folks that there hasn't, you know, we hasn't found a balance I mean, I, I'm sure you know about, you know, in California where you, you know, these growers were complaining that just, you know, the oversight is just so much and the taxation and, you know, they just can't find the balance. So I think it, it drives out the folks that, you know, really want to do it from their heart and it brings in more of these bottom line kind of guys or girls or, or, or teams, right? And, and so I think that's part of it, you know, and again, it, it makes it hard that it's, it's not fully legal. Banking is almost impossible. Yeah. You know, I mean, there are just so many obstacles. And what I've found is that people just get to a point where they go, I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I'm throwing in my just not worth it, right? Yeah, it's not worth it. So give us a little sense of really how you're 
you know, kind of local agreements work. So you're, you're providing basically kind of formulation, branding, packaging. I mean, I guess, what do you provide? Sure. And then what does the local partner kind of do? And how does that, like, what does what is, what is that relationship look like? For sure, for sure. So, you know, so Scandalous would come in um, and we'd be another line item, hopefully on a menu list that, you know, the partner would have. Um, but we, we'd come in, we'd bring our machinery, we'd bring our know-how, recipes, marketing, oversight, and basically, you know, empower these folks to do it on their own. Um, so it's almost a, a white label licensing sort of mix as it comes okay. together. And then the partner's responsible for then producing it on site under their license, manufacturing license, providing, you know, both the staffing, uh, the oil or whatever component of THC that they're, you know, putting into it. And then it's, it's through their, their license and through some of their agreements sometimes that we enter the marketplace with a distribution company or if there's an in-house sales team. But so there, it, it becomes a bit of a partnership there towards the end, but it, we're really empowering, you know, the local manufacturer in, in each state with the ability to add a high quality, you know, low cost item to their, to their menu list. And, and these are people that are already producing edible products of some sorts, or like, I guess, how do you select that's a, yeah, that's a great question too. Uh, that's that's the hard part is finding you know because me, everyone right now it's a bonanza. Everyone's producing and they're switching what they produce. Sometimes it's you know we're doing gummies and we're doing beverages, we're doing brownies. You know the the whole gambit is at play. Uh, we try to find you know the most consistent folks with like you know the better reputation. We'll do a little market research and find out from you know, a lot of the dispensaries you know who the better vendors are as well, or I'm sorry, the, the better providers are. So, so that's, you know, that's, that's definitely an interesting dynamic to try to interpret. So I, don't, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I've seen a couple of different companies kind of use this kind of brand licensing model to kind of overcome the state-by-state licensing issues, you know, but there's challenges with it as well. I mean, I guess uh, as, as this evolves, as this market evolves, as, you know, hopefully at some point we get federal legalization kind of changed, uh, how do you envision this kind of playing out eventually? Are you is, are you looking to get acquired by a bigger brand? Are you looking to be a producer, actually be a manufacturer at some point? Like, what does the future look like for you? It, yeah, we're we're hoping really to see what happens in the Northeast. You know, we're we're okay. we're, we're, we're New Yorkers here. Um, yeah. Although we started on the West Coast, we kind of want to see what how New York comes into play. Um, but you know, ideally, it would be great to be you know one of the you know top premier single serve across the country national brands. And then yeah, well, look if we get acquired. That wouldn't be bad either, but we have other products we'd like to start, you know, putting out as okay. well. Uh, maybe a taffy, uh, but you know, all these things, you know, under the you know, better for you, gluten free, vegan, just natural umbrella, um, so yeah. to speak. And so I guess g- give me your take on New York, New Jersey. I mean, we, you know, the Northeast is kind of going through this big shift or this big kind of transition or adoption of legal cannabis uh, on the adult use side. What's I guess, how, how did it start for you? How have you seen it play out? Where, where do you feel we are now? I mean, you know, there's been, there's been a, uh, it's been a little sorted, but give us your take on things. Yeah, no. So I, I, I equate it to, you know, like a gold mining town, you know, after like they hit their first like vein, you know, and everybody jumps in with like shovels and tents and utensils and food and really there to, you know, to, to provide whatever they need for the prospectors that are about to come in. Right. Um, so that's sort of what I feel like New York is right now. In terms of the Northeast in general, it's just been, it's been a slow rollout. And I was sort of surprised given the success that, you know, that the West Coast has had and that we've already had, you know, practices in place. I found that, you know, Massachusetts was really hard to kind of come to the plate. You know, they, they spent a long time, you know, litigating, you know, their, their rules and their, how they want to move forward. 
And I'm, I'm seeing New Jersey and New York sort of following suit. Things are just taking a long time to kind of get through. And I think it's, there's so many people that, you know, have strong feelings about it in government that I think, you know, it, we're, as a society, we're still not, we haven't embraced it. You know, to your point earlier, yeah. we hope that it becomes federal, but I think there is still a lot of stigma that is, uh, you know, just stagnating the whole process. So, you know, I, I, I think in New York, we, we've, you know, to, to, to bring the product into um, this gray market that's sort of surging, we've, we've developed a, um, just like a pseudo brand mm-hmm. um, that we're introducing to the store so people get familiar with the product itself. And again, we'll see how it plays out, but hopefully we can merge that with Scandalous down the road, or if it becomes its own brand in the meantime, then no harm there. We can make the Scandalous brand maybe a higher end uh, consumable, but you know, it, it's it's really interesting. I, I, I've heard some some crazy nightmare stories out there, as you can imagine, because there literally are. There's you know, it's every day where uh, we're seeing new you know new, new entities come up in the city, in small shops, in bodegas. There are trucks everywhere. So yes. we're actually in a process this weekend, myself and some of the chocolate makers. We're going to map some of the dispensaries out in the city because we really have to try to figure out where the territories are and how fast they're growing. So yeah. it's going to be interesting to see, but it is a bonanza out there. It's the, really the word. To- yeah, very much so. If, if you were to change, if I give you a magic wand to change something about, you know, New York, New Jersey in terms of how it's playing out or the policy or the, you know, the regs or, you know, how to be implemented, what, what, what would you change? Like what piece of it do you feel is not working well or is not going to work well? Yeah, I think, you know, what, what becomes really important for, I think, especially New Yorkers, Northeasterners, I think we're really prideful of, of where we're from. And we're seeing, you know, obviously the, these these West Coast companies and, you know, even Midwest, the Colorado folks, you know, they, we're seeing all their products here, you know. So it's, it's been a big influx of these big West Coast companies. And I think it really muscles out the ability for local folks to get involved and to create some more of a, of a craft, you know, and, and much more community centric. And I think when I speak to other producers here in New York that, you know, we go to these events that, you know, are, are starting to be more frequent these pop-ups where, you know, we, we basically give out samples to the community and just, you know, show them that it's okay, um, that, you know, mm-hmm. this business is, is, is legitimate and it's, it's growing. But, you know, we find that um, it's, it's, it's really hard to, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought, Bruce. Forgive me. That's fine. So um, let me, I'll just give it to you again. Like, yeah, what's, yeah. The, what's the one thing you would change? If I gave you a magic wand, what's one thing you'd change about the industry? Perfect. So, so yeah, so I would change the, the, the legally, I, I would put more emphasis on, facilitating local producers to have a bigger success rate in, 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 in the marketplace rather than getting muscled in by these West Coast producers that you know, have, been in the, have been in play too long. So, you know, basically, let's fend off Coca-Cola for a little while while we establish, you know, something that's homegrown. It's much more sustainable. Um, I think that's really what's, what's, what would be important because, you know, once you get these bigger producers in, they muscle everybody else out, and then it, it becomes a much more, you know, one-way drive and, I think for this, the success of, of cannabis, I think, has always been community-based. And I think that's, it, that's sort of counterproductive to, you know, its origins, uh, to bring yeah. in these big companies. And do you think, I mean, what do you, if you think the future of the market is that we have, it's kind of the, you have Budweiser's and Coors, and then you have all these kind of local craft producers out there? Or like what, I mean, when this market kind of matures or evolves, how do you think kind of the brands and the, the companies will play out? Yeah, I, I mean, I, unfortunately, I do feel like, you know, cash is going to be king in this situation. And what we're seeing on the West Coast is a lot of the small producers have been squeezed out um, yeah. again. And I think it, it will continue. Um, hopefully, again, that's where, you know, when you ask me what my dream uh, scenario would be, with, you know, if, 
an, an incentive by local government to encourage local production. Because I think that's the only way the market continues to evolve and mature um, in a way that's much more connected to the people versus one big company with a bunch of you know scientists saying this should be the next you know great thing, and then yeah. you know it all moves towards that versus you know organically you know evolving w- within itself. Yeah. What um, and uh, I mean, you mentioned a little bit about the finance side. I mean, I guess what have been your kind of kind of fundraising uh, capital raise requirements, and what are you noticing about uh, the, the availability for capital for cannabis companies? Uh, any insights there? Yes. First, let me just preface it with a little banking uh, anecdote. Um, yeah. So it's been really tough in New York State to find any bank that'll work with you. There are a number of ones that do, but getting through is, is really tough. We've been with a bank for like a credit union, a small credit union out on Long Island for about two and a half years. And they called me in and they were like, hey, so, you know, we compli- com- compli- they were like, compliance has been going through all our client lists. And we realized that I, I think there was, you know, there, there's some inconsistencies here because you guys registered as a real estate company. And, oh. and I look at the lady, I'm like, our name is Scandalous Chocolates. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, so, you know, clearly the banking situation, you know, uh, is an issue. Um, but, uh, and I, I, I say that because when it comes to getting financing and it acquiring that, that, you know, it's, oh, now it's hard to even have a place to put it and use it. But I think the, the biggest challenge now is, you know, seeing the market fluctuate up and down on the West Coast, these bigger companies that are becoming more conglomerates, you know, they affect the market a lot more so than I expected. And investors are shy, you know, I think of, you know, because they see, especially, you know, in the Canadian stock market when it comes to cannabis, you know, the ups and downs and, and seeing sort of what happened to the hemp market or CBD market, you know, you watch these things move and, and fluctuate at such, you know, alarming rates at times that I think, yeah, it's, it's tough to get uh, investors to, 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 to commit these days, given, you know, where the market is and, you know, how things have turned, I think, over the last six months. I'm curious what you're seeing in terms of the New York market. What are you watching? Uh, what are the things that you're really kind of monitoring in terms of how things are evolving? Right. So, yeah. So I think the state's still caught up in packaging and it's, it's, it's slow all the way through. Um, I, we're probably in, maybe a year out until we start mm-hmm. seeing our first dispensary. So, you know, right now it's a waiting game. Where I do see the future of New York going once, you know, things get normal and, you know, only folks with licenses are actually open for business. Yeah. I do see a big, uh, a big need and what you're seeing in some of the other European cities for smoking lounges. So I think New York mm-hmm. will probably have a lot of, you know, bring your, you know, uh, of, of lounges where, where people are going to start to congregate versus just, you know, being so blatant on the street. I think yeah. that, that's, a, I think, a natural push to have a smoking bar or smoking lounge. And, and, you know, hopefully an evolution of, of you know, higher quality products and, and weeding out a lot of, you know, of the baloney that's in the marketplace right now would be nice. But New York being so massive and with a huge appetite, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, if, if dispensaries can keep up with the demand once it's all mm-hmm. legal and how, you know, the black market will affect things. Because, as you know, you know and imagine the New York black market is huge. Yeah. Uh, and we've seen what it's done on the West Coast in terms of fluctuating crop prices, um, you know, when they get involved. So it'll be interesting to see how the feds both regulate the black market, you know, and, but also how the market reacts to additional product being, you know, spilled into, into the supply. Yeah. Yeah. And what, um, I mean, in terms of building out your company, I mean, it, it, it sounds like it's primarily sort of the licensing, you know, finding 
producers, getting them set up, onboarding, but what else do you anticipate that you need to kind of build in terms of your company to be able to grow and scale successfully? Sure. So, I, you know, uh, sales for us is going to be our next big component um, as we try to do. I mean, our goal is to go nationwide. Um, so creating, a, I think, a, an effective sales force here in New York, New Jersey, and, and you know, in the Northeast, um, I think it's going to be quite difficult. Um, but, I, you know, that's, that's our next step uh, as a company and probably evolving um, a bunch of new products if we can do that in the meantime as we continue to grow. Um, yeah, so that's really what's, what's in store for us now. Yeah. Miguel, this has been a pleasure. Uh, if people want to find out more about you, more about Scandalous, what's the best way to get that information? Sure. ScandalousChocolates.com. Just log in. We have an info. Just ask away. We're there. Um, and awesome. you can see where we are in, on the West Coast. And uh, hopefully we'll be advertising where we are in the Northeast pretty soon. Soon, yeah, hopefully. Yeah, I'll make sure the links and everything in the show notes so people can get that. Miguel, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Pleasure's all mine, Bruce. Thank you for your time, okay? That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, Download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.